Good morning. It is an honor to be here. It's always an honor to be able to bring what you believe God is speaking. And, uh, and I take that very seriously in what his heart is and really have prayed through this and prayed for you um, in this message. If you don't know who I am, my name is Chris Lancer. I'm on pastoral staff here at City Church, and I oversee a lot of the operations and business functions of this organization. So I'm a lot more behind the scenes maybe than what you see, but uh, it's the teams that I get to lead that make everything hopefully really good for you. So it's a delight. And I oversee the finances. So you know what I'm going to talk about today? Stewardship. Aren't you all excited? Actually, let me qualify that a little bit. We're going to talk about kingdom stewardship. And I want to say this from the beginning. This is not about fundraising for City Church. This is not about getting you to give more or do anything different than God may be asking you to do. And I want to be very clear on that. So this is not a crowbar to the wall kind of message. God might do that, but I won't. So in that, would you stand with me as we read a verse from the Word of God? The scripture is found in Psalm 24.1. It's David declaring this truth. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, would you give us your heart today for stewardship and what it means to come alongside your mission in the world. Lord, thank you for the resources you give us. Help us to use them well, that you would be pleased and you would say to us at the end of the day, well done, good and faithful servant. We just pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to talk about what it means to be a steward in the kingdom of God. We're going to go on an adventure of unpacking God's intent for what he has given us, his heart for the world around us, and how we can partner with him. My first discovery of this idea of stewardship, which means I'm not an owner but a manager, came when I was living in Germany. That is where I got what I would say is good saved, where I really committed my own heart to Christ. It wasn't my parents' faith or, or my, my dad's religion. It was, it was really me saying, I surrender all to you, God. It was at a retreat. And a year later, I'm at the same retreat. It was an English-speaking church with a lot of internationals. And, uh, and I'm in worship. This was not a message someone preached or anything else. I'm at this time of just worshiping the Lord and enjoying his presence. And I have this realization Everything I have is really his. I, my, my money is his. My, my apartment is his. My car is his. All my resources are really his because how did I get them in the first place? He was a generous God. And even if I say, well, but I've worked hard for this. Well, where did my talents come to work for it? Where'd all, so I have this, this like realization I'm going, huh, I'm a steward. And I didn't know the word for it, so I didn't say that. I just said, huh, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. So I just committed to him. Lord, you have, you have my bank account, God. You have my, my, my apartment, my car, all my stuff. It's all yours. I want it to glorify you. Now, what I didn't realize is in the next few weeks, he would be testing me on those things. And so of these things, the toughest thing was my car. I had a 5 Series BMW at age 24 on the Autobahn in Germany. Now, the funniest thing about it is it was a company car, so it wasn't really mine anyway, but boy, did I hold that to me. That's my baby. That's my car. Stick shift fast. Don't tell my mom. Mom, if you're watching, I'm sorry. I went 143 miles an hour on the Autobahn once. It was fantastic. It was great. Sunday morning, eight lanes to myself. High speed. 
So the Lord begins to test me in this. And it was at a time that I was going to come back to the U.S. I had some business meetings and was going to see some family. And the Lord, I find out about this need. There's this missionary who's a close friend of mine. She's amazing. Her name was Wendy. And uh, Wendy was a missionary and her car had just broken down. And the Lord was like, Chris, let her use your car when you're gone. And who said no way? Yeah, that was exactly what I said, yeah. Because in my heart, I, I, said, I said, no way. And I also know Wendy, and no offense, Wendy, if you're watching, but um, Wendy wasn't a very good driver. So here I have this pristine 5 Series BMW that is my kind of pride and joy. It's not even mine, remember? And I say, okay, okay, Lord, all right, fine. So I send her a message that she can use my car. And I write down this list of things that she's going to have to do. This is how you wash the car. This is, I do not want you to go unlimited. Do not go 143 miles an hour on the Autobahn like I did. I had all this list of how to be very careful with my car. And I had a little bit of money because she was a missionary. So I thought, well, to keep it washed and everything. And she might need money for fuel. So she takes public transportation to the airport. I drive to the airport. I see her. I've got the keys in my hand. And I've got the money in my hand. The Lord says, don't you dare give her your list. And I walk up and I'm like, here's the car. I got to go. Bye. Because in my heart, I was going, ah, she's going to wreck it. Well, I went. She did not wreck the car. She did just fine. I don't know if she went 143 miles an hour on the Autobahn or not. Don't ask, don't tell sometimes. But I realized that I was really hanging on to this BMW and my other stuff. And God's heart was to free me of holding on to what he had given me as resources through a variety of sources, but that it was his ultimately, not mine. And he was like, well, you prayed this, didn't you, Chris? And I'm like, yes, I did, darn. But it's true. We are stewards. So let me give you this definition of stewardship. It's recognizing that all you have comes from God. And rather than being an owner, you are a manager of what he has given you. Your resources, your money and stuff, your time, your talents, your family of birth. Sometimes we are born into a wealthier or less wealthy family and we have certain privileges that way. Your race, your entire being. This is who we are and what God asks us to steward fully. God loves the nations. He loves the different races. He loves all this. But he says don't hang on to it as your own. Use it as I call you to. So what do we do with this? If we have more, are we supposed to feel guilty about our resources that God's given us? The world would say yes. God says no, I don't. What if we don't have that much? Are we supposed to look at our neighbor and say, you owe me, you owe me, because if you have more, it must mean I have less. God says no, that's not the way the kingdom works. The kingdom is not this zero-sum game where if you have more, it means I have less. The kingdom is a kingdom where God has infinite wealth and will give to us delightfully as we work with him and receive what he has. So it's not jealousy. The answer is stewardship. But before this really makes sense, we have to talk about having the right perspective with this, which is lordship. So I want to begin talking about lordship. If you look on the screens with me at Romans 10.9, the verse says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
You've heard this many times. This is a basic verse about salvation. But we don't talk much about declaring Jesus as Lord. We talk about it. But did you ever study the word Lord? In the Greek, it's curious. Curios, not curious. But curios. It's used a little more than occasionally. 748 times in the New Testament. And the word that David said in the Psalm 24:1 for Lord is used 6,519 times in the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament. So this is not a rare topic. This is at the heart of who God is. That word kurios, we'll just deal with the Greek right now. Here's the definition in Greek. He to whom a person or thing belongs that has the power of decision over that person or thing. The root source is actually about supremacy, which we think of in all sorts of bad contexts, but it really means supreme authority. So God invites us to come in a place where he's Lord above us and even wants to make certain decisions or wants to guide us in our decisions on his behalf. What do you think I am, stupid? I mean, like, why would I do that? That's dumb. Why would I want a Lord? Well, let me tell you about the God that someone chooses to call Lord. And if this excites you, you can go amen, whatever, as I'm going through it. We're going to start with Psalm 103, 8 through 12. Listen to this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. There's a lot in that. Let me just begin to unpack this. He's gracious. Boy, I like people who are gracious. You like people who are compassionate? I love compassion. People are compassionate toward me and say, Chris, I understand. Slow to anger. Nice when someone doesn't blow up at you, isn't it? Abounding in love. This is the God kind of love where he wants the highest good for you. Abounding. It just doesn't say he loves. He's abounding in love. He deals with us more kindly than we deserve. Boy, I already like this guy. I'm already going, wow, this, what a great friend that would be. And then... He forgives us and heals us. Listen to this. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. And 1 John 1, 9 says this, takes even a step further. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgives us our sins and purifies us from all unrighteousness. Boy, we got to hear stories in the baptismal today. I mean, I I just, that was preaching to me. I'm going, wow. And they're saying, I want this Lord. I want this Lord. And as they were talking about forgiveness, think about this. It's like when you're driving down the road a little too fast and you're not in Germany. And the police pull you over and you get a speeding ticket. For 17 over. I've never had that experience, so don't ask me. Um, (laughs) When you get pulled over, you get a ticket. You go to court. You're guilty. I don't think in heaven we really need a court because God sees everything. We don't have to do our own defense. You're guilty. You owe $238 for that speeding violation. And here walks in Jesus who says, hey, you're guilty, that's right. 
I'm going to pay that ticket for you. You go ahead. You go free. Let me pay what you owe. That's the kind of forgiveness that God talks about. Or let's take it a little bit further. You commit a crime. You get caught for drugs and dealing drugs. You have 10 years in prison. You're guilty. You're bad. You've done all sorts of horrible things. You may not even be repentant. And then you have this moment of repentance. And Jesus comes and says, I'll take that 10-year prison sentence for you. You go free. Just learn to love me so you don't do it again. Go and sin no more, as Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of heart he has for us. This God is the creator of all things, the stars and the moon and the sun and the planets and the galaxies, this vast thing that we're still discovering called the universe. And he's the creator of the little stuff, the electrons and the protons and atoms and molecules and things that work in our body that the scientists are still discovering and wondering at how it works. He's the creator of the forests and the mountains and the streams and the trees and all the stuff that we call beauty. He's the God who created gravity and this idea that we stick to the earth and we don't just float. Thank you, Lord. Um, the seasons, the atmosphere which we breathe right now. He's a God who creates systems which sustain themselves, like air and water and forests, our own life, our bodies that heal themselves for the most part. Wow. He created our senses, our pleasure. The idea of pleasure was his, not ours. And just for our delight, I think, he gives us colors and sounds, and for my, me especially, flavors. Ooh, I love food. I love the different flavors and how they mix and when things pop. That's to his delight. I don't think that it's critical that I have taste buds for me to survive. So why would God do this? For our pleasure. Who is this God who invites us to call him Lord? He's so much more than I've already talked about. He is a rock that is solid for us. He is one who will never leave us or abandon us, even though others may. He loves us unconditionally. There's nothing you can do to separate you from God's love for you. He sets us free from bondages. We got to hear about that this morning. He provides for us. He protects us. He heals us. He's available at all hours. He's attentive to our needs. He listens to us. He leads us. He counsels us. He's present in our times of need. And he gives us things the world cannot give us. He gives us peace that there are very wealthy people who would love to buy, but you can't buy that. He gives us hope that people throughout the world are desperate for, but can only get it from one source. And he gives us a joy that has nothing to do with the circumstance. Who is this God that invites us to call him Lord? Who is this Jesus What does he want? He simply wants our loyalty and submission so he can bless us and bless others through us so others may know of his goodness. He's, a, he's on a mission to seek and save that which is lost, to extend his love to others, which he wants to extend to us. He wants to adopt us into his family that we would bow down and just say, Abba, Father. You're amazing. Why wouldn't we want to submit to this God? Why wouldn't we want this person as Lord? That's the question. Because if you don't want this person as Lord, 
It doesn't make any sense to have stewardship. See, I want him as Lord. I don't want to hold anything back from him. I can't imagine, I'm single, I've never been married, but I can't imagine going into a marriage and saying, honey, I want you for the rest of my life, but my stuff is mine. Sorry. Nope, nope, you have to ask permission to use, nope, nope, nope. (laughs) Byron's going, that's not the way it works, bro. That is not the way it works. I didn't think it worked that way. No, it's all here. If you love someone, don't you want to give your all to them? Isn't that what it's about? What isn't there to love about this God? What isn't there to love? And he invites us into this. A good friend of mine, Ryan Schaub, calls me and he was praying for me as I was preparing this message. And he said this. He said, this has been going on in my head over and over and over. Stewardship without lordship is legalism. And I thought that's so good because it's like, okay, God, I got to give. Fine, fine, fine. How much do you want? Uh, You know, that's not what God wants at all. He wants to invite us instead into his mission from this place of being loved and part of his family. He who cares about the world and the people into it invites us to join in this ongoing mission, to seek and save the lost, to reconcile all things unto himself. Do you know that God actually wants the world to more reflect his heart? We pray it all the time in the Our Father. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's heart is that his will is done here and he asked us to pray that way. He wants to bring truth that people live from what is really real, not from a bunch of lies that you make bad decisions on thinking it was true and then you run in a direction that is completely wrong. God wants to bring justice to this world where there's injustice and wants us to partner with him in that. Isaiah 58 talks all about this and so does James 1.27. Talks about wanting to bring justice on the earth where they're, they're fasting and he's talking with the Jews but he could be talking right with us. And they're like, oh, we're doing all this stuff for you. He goes, no, no, no. Real fasting, take care of the orphans and the widows. Real fasting, do justice in the earth. Do not oppress people. Restore what my heart is to the earth. That is real justice. My mother's Jewish and she would talk about this, tikkun olam, which is this idea of excuse me. It's the idea of bringing restoration to the world that God intends and has had on his heart the whole time. And God invites us, whether Jew or Gentile, invites us into that mission. He wants to show the world his love through our actions as he speaks to us and says, come in, that the world may know, that the world may know, that the world may know. That's his heart. And he adopts us in as his children. And as his children, he says, be on my team. Join me in my mission. Be part of what I'm doing. Be about, as Jesus said, the Father's business. Be about his business. That is God's mission. And with that context, how do we join God's mission and why does he care about our resources? Let's talk about that for a moment. Do you think God really needs your money? This creator of the universe who speaks into existence the galaxies and the world and all that we have, all our resources? Is he about your pocketbook? Does he really need, if, so if he needed you to tithe, couldn't he just give you 10% less and give it directly to the church himself? I mean, wouldn't that be easier? So I don't think that God's about taking your money. 
What is he up to? What about this? What about when he, he was in the synagogue and they had these people giving all sorts of money and this little widow comes up with a couple pennies and gives that and he praises her about what she gave. Clearly, it's not about dollar amount. That wasn't the issue. It's about something else. It's about our hearts. To join God's mission, God invites us to allow him to truly have our heart. And God warns a little bit about this in Scripture because money and riches and wealth can really absorb us. You know, we think about idols and we don't look at these wooden things. We might laugh in our culture at something we made of wood that we bow down to worship that you can read about in Habakkuk and other things. It it happens in other cultures. But I don't think we think about that. But we have other idols. And wealth in our culture is an idol. It really is. And for many of us it is. My my BMW was. (laughs) It really was. And God invites us into this. And here's what he says. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now what it doesn't say is money is evil. Our culture sometimes likes to say that. But God doesn't say that. He says the love of money is evil. Money's neutral, but he knows it can draw our hearts. And it even says in this they've wandered away. It's almost like in this umbrella... See, the the beauty of submission and coming under authority is that authority is over you as a covering. If you walk in the ways that that authority says, things go well for you. And that's really the gist of it with lordship. This covering is a beautiful thing. And so here it talks about walking away from that and it says they pierce themselves with pangs. They've gone away. It's self-created. This love of money becomes a self-created problem when our hearts are not his. There's this song that kept going through my head. I don't know, maybe you've heard it. Money, 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 money. Doo, doo, doo. Hey, Nathan, that's my, that's my uh, audition for the worship team, so if you want to include me in the future. <laughs> no, but this song, I looked it up on the internet. I was curious because it was kind of ringing in my head. And the song is actually called For the Love of Money. It's by a group called the OJs. And I want you to see some of the lyrics of it because I think they got it kind of right. For the love of money, people will steal from their mother. For the love of money, people will rob their own brother. For the love of money, people will lie. Lord, they will cheat. For the love of money, people don't care who they hurt or beat. For the love of money, a woman will sell her precious body. For a small piece of paper, it carries a lot of weight. Call it lean, mean, mean green, almighty dollar. Boy, doesn't that capture the essence of the love of money and what it drives us to. God further said this in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now this verse, I kind of, it was a core verse as I was studying, and I picked this apart down into the Greek, and I want to give you uh, the revised Chris version of this verse here. Here's my translation. No one can submit to two supreme authorities over them. For either he or she will detest one and dearly love the other, or he or she will cling to one and think little of the other. You cannot submit yourself to both God and wealth. God asks us to choose. He says you can't do both because 
one of these is going to win your heart. And so in that place, as we choose to submit to him, we're joining God's mission. Part of God's mission is a mission to others, not just to our hearts. In the mission to others, he has given us or will give us the resources to accomplish what he's asked us to do. Sometimes we think, because God speaks to us and I don't have it right now, that that can't be God. Sometimes it is God. Because his dreams and visions sometimes are much greater than you can accomplish from your own self. Actually, I would say that if it's a small vision or a dream, maybe you have to question the other way. Is it God? Is it, if it's not beyond me, is it God if it's a massive vision? Hmm, food for thought. God also asks us to give cheerfully to his mission. And I think you can only do this in the context of lordship. I think you can. Here's 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. Now I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God's heart is that we get his heart first for what he's doing. And just because we have his heart for what he's doing doesn't mean we'll understand what he's doing. There are many times where God has asked me to give into something that I have no clue how they're going to use it. And even one time, I remember, I saw how someone used it, and I was mad. I would not spend money that way, God. I can't believe, why did I give that? And God says, but who asked you to give? What was the purpose? See, it's not about controlling what we give. It's about releasing it when God says, this is what I'd like you to do, and trusting him to do what he wants to do with it. See, that verse, that verse about you can't love God and wealth, this word wealth has this idea of controlling in it. It's a control. And when God asks us to give, he says, freely you have received, freely give. He does not want you to control what happens once you've released it. He wants you to pray for that, to invest in it through that way, and having his pleasure because you've said yes. That's what God's heart is. The last thing that I think God wants us to do with our resources is allowing him to build our character. He wants to build our character to trust him more day by day because he's preparing us for an eternity with him where we will steward God's resources in a greater way. Joel talked the last two weeks about heaven. I don't believe that we will be sitting around, like Joel said, we're not going to be sitting around here going, ah, and just, you know, like little angels, and this is what we do all the time, and God's automatons. No, I think he has purposeful things to do. I think that this world is a microcosm of some, a little taste of what he has for us, because we're not going to be bored eternally, and we are going to do work. It says in the word that God worked six days and rested one. We like to think of the rest. God likes to think of the work and what we're accomplishing and what he is doing. This is why he invites us to join into his work. I personally have had quite a journey with stewardship and I want to tell you about some of the key foundational pieces that helped form me in my time. I told you how God spoke to me about stewardship first. And beyond that, I learned that there was this principle about tithing in Malachi, and I said, okay. You know, God says, test me in this. I'm like, really? But I thought in the word of God, it says, don't test the Lord your God. Well, it does. 
But this is one exception God makes. He says, test me in this. And I don't care what your view is about, is this New Testament, is it Old Testament? This is not, by the way, I'm not trying to get you to tithe if you're not. That's you and God. I, but he invites us to in a way that's kind of crazy because he says, test me. Test me in this if I will not keep your grapes from casting from their vines. I, and really what it means, if I will not protect what you have, if I won't take care of you, if I won't give you plenty and enough for your needs. I have personally found in my life that that's been a beautiful journey. And when I began doing that, actually, it was funny. I actually had less worry about money than I did before, even though I was giving away some of what I had. These are some of the upside-down principles of the kingdom of God that don't seem to make sense to us, but they work. So I'm here in Germany. I've been a couple years in this church, and uh, I've gotten this acquaintance named Ted, Ted Tedford, who I'd tease. Ted... Tedford, who married Terry, and they're from Texas, so you get all these T's going. And Ted and Terry Tedford had two kids. Well, had one kid, one on the way at the time. And Ted was one of these guys. He seemed kind of simple, but always had a lot of wise things to say. And one day, God puts on my heart to give him some money. And I had never done this. What, what do you, I mean, I'm giving it to church, you know, but like, what do I do? How do I do this? And it was more money than I would easily go, oh, here you go. Yeah, I mean, I really had, I had to go to the bank and take some money out and wrestle with God a little bit, but I wanted to be obedient. And, and so, so after the service, we had an afternoon service at our church in Germany. And after the service, I wait, it's the last person, just me and the pastor. And I said, okay, I've got this money that I want to give to the Tedfords and here it is. And he's like, why are you giving it to me? So I don't know. I mean, I mean don't, don't I give it to you and you give it to them or something? Or I don't know how this works. And he said, well, just go give it to him. It's like, ah, I don't know. This is awkward. This is going to be awkward. So I went to dinner with some friends, and then I knew where Ted lived, and I went. He's, he was a military guy, and they didn't have a lot. That was clear. He was a cook in the military, and, and so I went in their door in the military housing. Ted opens up the door, and I say, <clears throat> uh, Ted, I, I think I'm supposed to give this to you. Please uh, don't open it till I close the till you close the door. Okay, bye. And I went like this. <laughs> it just felt really awkward and weird, and I didn't know what was going on. And later they did thank me. They said, "Wow, that was a real blessing for us. You have no idea." I said, "Oh, well, that's great." I didn't understand the rest of the story until years later. Ted told me he Ted and I got back together through an incredible God story where I was on his heart. He didn't know literally where in the world I was because I was a world traveler. And, and I was on his heart and I was working for this company, a 1,360-page catalog. No joke. I am in one spot in this catalog. He happens to be working for a nursing home that uses our products. He pulls out this 1,360-page catalog and it flops open to the one page that there's a picture of me giving blood in a blood drive. It's the only time I'd ever been in the catalog. And my name tag, Chris, with a smile giving blood, probably 30 seconds before I passed out because that was a bad time. (laughs) But he calls me up and we get reacquainted and he had things from the Lord he had been praying which were, you know, someone, you ever heard the term they read your mail? It's like he knew what was going on in my life without having talked to me and it reunited us. And it was at this time he told me, uh, actually a couple years after, he told me this story. He said, there was this guy named Chris Lancer who came and blessed us. I said, what are you talking about? Ted said, 
we were trying to save money. We didn't have much, and we were trying to scrape together $50 a month to put in the savings somehow to have something for future. We were having kids, and, and, and we wanted to do something. And we felt that it's wise to save, so we put down $50 a month. And he said, we've been doing that for four months, and we actually couldn't even get all 50 often. So he had 100-some dollars. And that Friday, they had talked to a financial person who said, oh, you should you know, get involved in a mutual fund and invest, and they had heard him, and for some reason, they didn't have peace about it. They're going, God, what, what's going on? This seems smart. seems wise. And instead, the Lord said, I want you to give what you have to this other family in our church. And he was like, but God, how, how, how do we not invest for the future? How do we not care for our kids? I mean, wouldn't this be irresponsible? And the Lord speaks to him. He says, you cannot beat my return on your investment. That night, he gets a knock at the door. I have an envelope for him. It's many times what he gave. And what was God doing in this? I mean, look at the kingdom perspective for a moment. He's helping one family that God wanted to help. God puts on on Ted's heart to give to this family and changes Ted's whole idea of what it means to be a steward. He puts on my heart to give to Ted in the kingdom. Ted gets this return. He said, he said, Chris, this was so important in my Christian formation because I learned what it meant to be generous and I learned not to question God when he said, I want you to give. And so one little bit of obedience on my part. Look at the chain effect. This is the kingdom of God. This is what he wants to do and it's so fun to be a part of it. When I was in my discipleship training school with YWAM, this goes back to the year 2000, I was, uh, I was a newer Christian. I'd come back from Germany at this point and I was uh, enjoying this new, I'd heard about this YWAM thing. My pastor in Germany said, you should do YWAM. I said, what's YWAM? He said, youth with a mission. You should do a DTS. I said, what's a DTS? They had all these acronyms. I'm like, what is this? Discipleship training school. I said, oh, okay. So I looked and ended up coming to YWAM Madison and I wasn't even sure if I should do this or not. And, um, but I, I decided I was going to do this. So, so they said to me, Chris, you know what? You can just come for a week and try it out. I don't think they've ever done that before. But they were told, the Lord told them, be really gracious with this class. Remember them telling me that later. And so by day two, I'm like, oh, I want to be part of this. This is amazing. I'm learning all about God and his character and who he is. It's incredible. So I'm in this. And, and I, by the way, my brother and dad, I'm pretty sure they thought I was joining a cult. I, I'm serious because it's a live-in program. You know, it costs money to go. There's tuition. And although it wasn't very much, relatively speaking, they were like, they came to check it out. I think they went, okay, I think this is all right, but it's weird. You know, you moved in with this group of people. What's wrong with you? Well, about two weeks into this, and by the way, I was unemployed at the time. God had, had, I was, before that I was running a $32 million global operation, 16 markets in the world, I was globetrotting all the time, loved it. You know, it was kind of the extension of what I was doing in Germany. And I come back, I lose my job after round seven of layoffs, and the company was two weeks before they went chapter 11. And so it was a really tough time for the company, and, uh, and when I was let go, I knew, actually knew it was the Lord, he had spoken to me about that. And so I was half delighted and half you know, delighted until I started wrestling with God about it, but that's a, 
That's another story for another time. I joined the DTS, and God speaks to me about two weeks into it about giving money. And he gave me an amount, which was basically my bank account. Now, I had some retirement money set aside, and I had a little bit of investment um, money set aside that if I had to, I could liquidate. But I had to even check, do I have this much in my bank account? I was a couple hundred dollars shy, but that came in within a day or two. And then I'm going, well, is this God or not? You know, okay, I want to obey God. I thought, is this the adventure of living with God and finances? Because I'd always talk with my pastor about that in Germany, and he'd always say to me, Chris, I'd much rather have your job with steady income than mine where I'm waiting on God. He didn't really want that, but he was talking about the wrestling with it. And so I asked God, you know, is this, is this you? And, but then I thought, wait a minute. This is the enemy. He's going to bankrupt me. He's trying to get me so I can't even pay my school fees. What am I thinking? And so I'm wrestling with this, and I, I end up meeting. We had a one-on-one meeting with our pastoral leadership, and I met with my pastoral leader, and she was amazing. And she said this. How do you know if it's God? Why don't you try this? This was pre-Venmo, by the way. Write out two checks. If you have peace about it, you'll know it's God because clearly that is not a normal thing, is it? I said, no, it is not normal to give away your money. So that evening, I go back to my room. I thought, kind of prompted, all right, it's time. Let me do this. I write out two checks. I set them aside, and I'm like, huh. This peace washes over me. And the first two words out of my mouth were, oh, no. (laughs) Because how is this going to work? How am I going to make it, Lord? In the end, I did just fine. I went on my outreach. I was able to pay my school fees. It's funny how God provides when we're obedient to him. And in that time, I learned a lot about the principles of God's idea of what it means to give. It's not just about a certain percentage or whatever. Even the Israelites, by the way, didn't just have a tenth that they were asked to give. There were all sorts of feasts and other things. And sometimes God said, spend the money on a party. Have a party. Enjoy. I want you to take some of your money and enjoy. So God is into that. He's not just into, well, give me your money because that's what the church is about. Oh, dear God, please do not think of church as about someone who wants to take your money. Think of church as a place where God is moving and we want to join with whatever he's doing, however that is, with whatever resources and whatever things he wants us to contribute joyfully into. So in that, I went through a time of after, after the DTS, we did an outreach in India, which was amazing, and I come back and now I'm looking for a job. And I end up looking for a job for five months. And I cannot find, it's in one of the best economies in the time. They were talking about record low unemployment and all this. And I can't find a job to save my life. I literally was spending, Tom Alexander was our college and career pastor at the time. And he was saying, you know, I would come to him and every, and I'd say, Tom, am I doing something wrong? And he'd say, is there any unconfessed and unrepentant sin in your life that you know of? I don't know, I really need to think about that a lot. He said, no, you would know it. I said, well, no. Good, keep doing what you're doing. Your full-time job is to get a job. Okay, that sounds right. And Tom was kind of like, you know, in your face. He's always, this is the way it is. So matter of fact, so I spent 30 to 40 hours a week as much as I could possibly bear because sometimes it felt unbearable. Resumes and, and, and finding jobs and applying and, and this would go on and on and it was rejection after rejection 
And I, I, I didn't even get, I got two phone calls in five months and I got one job interview. And the job interview I got was because Tom Alexander knew the person who was leading the company and said, you'd be dumb not to hire this guy. So I went for interviews. Well, they didn't hire me. And he's not dumb. So God had blocked that road. My mom had said to me at one point, she said, well, why don't you, uh, why don't you choose to go to grad school? I thought, seriously? First of all, my mom's a professor at a university. Of course she's going to say go to grad school. I mean, just, just keep doing the education thing, right? Keep growing and growing. And I, so, I, so I'm complaining to God about it. I don't want to waste two years of my life in grad school. What would I do in MBA? But all the recruiters, one of the things they'd say, do you have an MBA? They're like, no. Oh, you have great experience. Do you have an MBA? No. Oh, this is wonderful. You had a great experience in Germany. Do you have an MBA? So I'm wrestling with God because I had other headhunters saying, you are so employable. I don't know why people won't hire you. And, uh, and, and I said, I don't want to waste two years of my life. And I'm saying that to him every morning. And he says, so Chris, what would you do with those two years of your life you'd be wasting? At the time, I got nothing going. I'm having a hard time just not having something going but trying to look for a job. I had been said no to so much I felt like the salesman who was like trying to sell you a bad egg or something. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. Oh, a job interview? No. And it was this persistent thing. And so I said, okay, all right, God, I will apply. So I did the GMATs, did the things to apply to school. And, um, and I got accepted. I actually didn't think I'd get accepted. I was so used to being told no, no. So I get accepted into grad school and I'm like, okay, Okay, well, this is what I'm doing. So I called, there was this government program called TRA, T-A-A, which retrains people out of certain industries. And they had been in contact with me and they had already said to me, look, you don't qualify. I actually wanted them to pay for YWAM DTS because they were, kept bugging me about giving me training money. So what about that? They go, no, no, that's, a, that's some Christian whatever. No, 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 no. But they knew I was around. And so I get this call, I'd accepted grad school and I get this call from a guy named Tom at the center. We kept in touch throughout the time. And he said, Chris, I want to talk to you for a moment. I said, okay. He said, you know that you have an engineering degree and we don't give money to people with a bachelor's degree. I said, yeah, we've talked about this. He said, you know that, that we don't do master's degrees. And I said, yeah, you've told me that before. And you know that told you that grad school is beyond the funding of this program on a per-person basis. And I said, yeah, I know that. Why are you calling me? (laughs) He said, well, we were looking at our budget and we've seen how much you've been trying to get a job and how faithful you've been. And we believe you truly can't get a job. And so we're going to bend a few rules. We're going to bend the rules of, of your degree and not doing a master's program and the amount of money because we have some in our budget and we're going to send you to school two years, tuition and books for your MBA, free. And Yeah. And I went, the government bend rules? Are you kidding me? This has to be a miracle. I mean, seriously. And then I get a call a week later. The University of Wisconsin wants to give me a fellowship on top of it and pay my living stipend and give me health insurance. 
It was unbelievable. And the only thing I can contribute that to or attribute that to was my obedience in the timing that God had asked me to do. See, he's not a God who doesn't want to resource us. He's a God who delights in resourcing us when we're going in what he wants us to do and when he has our hearts. It's his delight. What an adventure that was. See, here's the thing with God. It gets to be a fun adventure. I want to tell you one more story that happened during my grad school. You know, the cool thing about going to grad school, you get long vacations, long breaks. And I had been with a couple families in Germany at our church who were from Australia. I kind of always wanted to go to Australia. What was winter break? Do you know what it is when it's winter here? You know what it is in Australia? Summer, yeah. So I called Paul and Marilyn a couple months before and I had some frequent flyer miles and I said, hey, what do you think about me coming down, down under for a month? And they're like, come on. So I went, I thought this was great. And, um, and I'm with this couple, and there were two couples that I knew from the church, and one was an associate pastor to church, and the ones I was staying with lived in a different city, and we did a road trip um, to their church. And this was mainly an Italian-Australian church, a lot of Italians, and, and the DiGiacomos. His parents, by the way, were Italian, and when we arrived in Melbourne, for the whole group of us, his, his mom had this food. She brings out the spaghetti and meatballs. I'll tell you amazing. Like, Paul and I are eating, and we're eating and eating, and we're like, wow. But we didn't quite know this Italian family. I don't know if this is typical of Italian families or not. That was only the first course. Then they start bringing all this stuff. We stuffed ourselves because we didn't want to disappoint our hosts. It was great. So we go to the Giacomo's church on Sunday, and I've always, since some of these lessons, I've always said, God, what do you want me to give when I'm at a church that's not my own? And I wait on the Lord. And they had two offerings that day. They had the general offering and then they had an offering for this mug fund. They wanted to give mugs to new, newcomers. It was just part of what was on their heart. And I felt like the Lord said, I don't want you to give anything in the normal offering, but I want you to give 25 Australian dollars to this mug fund. About 15 US. I thought, okay, easy enough. Collection goes by, I don't give anything. After the church service is when they had this mug fund. So I go up. This woman is sitting like at a table with a little cash box and I walk up and I, I open my wallet. I have a 50. And so I hand to her the 50 and she goes, well, do you want to give the whole 50? Sure, why not? So I walk away and feeling pretty good about myself obeying God and he's like, I didn't tell you to give 50. I told you to give 25. I said, but God, I, <laughs> I gave double. I gave above and beyond. What's the problem? I mean, Aren't you proud of me? I am giving generously. And the Lord said, but I didn't ask you to give that. I asked you to give 25. And I said, God, what, what do you want me to do? Like go back or something? I mean, like what, what do you want me to do? And he said this, and he said, Chris, I want your obedience more than your sacrifice. <sighs> this woman sitting there, I said, this is kind of embarrassing and weird, but I felt like I was supposed to give 25, and when you said 50, I thought, why not? But God's really telling me that that wasn't okay. She's like, in her Australian accent, which I won't try to imitate, you take that 25 back, you take that, you need to give whatever God's telling you, not a penny more, not a penny less. And I said, all right. But that became foundational for me in this idea of giving. You see, it's not always giving more. It's not always doing what we think we should do. See, the world says give to whatever your heart 
wants to give to, and then feel good about it. God has a very different way of doing this. He says, I want you to give obediently to my cause because God sometimes is working on someone else's heart to give, and he's asking you not to give because he wants someone else to work on their heart and allow them both the joy and the reward and the freedom to give as he's calling. So believe it or not, sometimes our giving can actually be in a miss. It can be toxic charity because we're doing what God has not asked us to do. When I was in India, Sam Duram said this to me when I was wrestling with all the need around and how do I take care of that need? He said, Chris, he said, trying to help everybody is humanism. Christianity is asking God, what is my role in it? And recognizing that God has unlimited wealth and wants to work through people to help people in the right ways, not just by giving money. I thought that was very powerful. I have three resources I want to show you up on the screen here. These are all by Lauren Cunningham, and it's only because this is not, you must read this, this is just things that I've talked about that I realized, hey, these are three of the foundational books in my Christian walk, all by Lauren Cunningham. First is Lordship. Making Jesus Lord is a great book that Lauren Cunningham wrote about what it means to give up our rights to God and submit to him. Very powerful. Second book is, I love this one, it's called Daring to Live on the Edge. I have this here. Um, I don't have it to sell or anything like that. You're going to have to go on Amazon or get it yourself. Uh, Daring to Live on the Edge. It's stories in YWAM of God's provision. Because YWAMers, I think this is still, Sebastian, is it still the case that nobody takes a salary? Yeah, everybody, every single person raises money themselves and invites people to join what God's doing. And they're one of the largest missions organizations out there. It's incredible what they do. And not a single person from the bottom to top takes any sort of salary. They live on faith and they trust God for it. The third book is about, if you were sitting here going, well, how do you hear God and what do you mean he spoke to you? This is a great book by Lauren Cunningham, his first book called, Is This Really You, God? It's really about learning to trust God's voice when you hear it. So I'd like to invite the worship team back up. And I want to ask you to take out either a sheet of paper or your device or something you can take notes with. Maybe you already have that out. And I'm going to pray in a moment that the Lord speaks to you about what he's inviting you to. Maybe today God is inviting you to just trust him to be Lord and really to say, yes, I want to submit joyfully to you. Maybe he's asking you today to become a cheerful giver of your time, talent, and treasure. Maybe he's asking you to begin tithing and test him in these things and see if he doesn't do as he says he would do. Maybe he's asking you to commit to or to give an amount that is beyond your idea of how to fulfill it, but he's saying, will you trust me in this? Maybe he's asking you to decrease or stop giving in an area to give others ample opportunity to give there. I don't know what the Lord is speaking to you, This is a very individual thing. But what I want to do is I want to take about 30 seconds here to a minute and let you hear from God yourself as to how God would like you to respond to this message. Lord, would you speak to people this morning? Would you put on their heart what you would have each 
do to respond to you? Well, this isn't about a church getting more money or anything like that. Not at all. It's about joining in what you're doing on the earth and being a partner with you, calling you Lord and giving joyfully out of what you have given us, God. Lord, speak now. Lord, would you give us courage today? Courage to follow through with what you're speaking to us. The courage to join you in what you're doing in this world. The courage to take a risk where it may feel risky to us. And the courage to embrace your heart and love in the midst of a broken world. God, strengthen us to move forward from here in all you're calling us to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite the prayer teams to come forward. If you'd like to pray through some of this or God has put something in your heart, you have a need that you'd like prayer for, please come forward. I'll also be down here if you'd like prayer for me or to talk further about this. God bless.